gentlemen and corner kick fam welcome back to the corner kick podcast this is in fact the second episode that we have recorded this week and not that you our beloved listeners would be able to tell that um we do have a tale of a lost episode that we can regale you with i am joined by two men who did not play for a hungarian team that got beat 5-1 at the camp new this week i'm joined by caleb rhodes hello and nathan strauss Kind of wish I did play for Ferencváros, though. To be fair, but I feel like that would be kind of cool. Living, living yeah. in hung- Budapest or Hungary for a little bit. I don't know where Ferencváros. I mean, Ferencváros in Ferencváros. I have no idea, honestly. But, yeah. but I feel like that. I feel like low-key a dream job would be to just be, you know, a star player on a team that just dominates their domestic league every single year. So you win like, you know, thirty trophies. And then get to play in Europe every once in a while. Mm-hmm. If you're not good enough to cut it in the Prem. Anyways, we're starting this. My name is Nick Vinden. We're starting this podcast a few minutes late. And I'll, I'll explain why. Uh, it's because I was leaving my home office today and going down the stairs. And I slipped and totally fell all the way down the stairs. And I hit the small of my back. <laughs> and I've been like hobbling around ever since. So I don't need a sub quite yet. Uh, they've given me the uh, the magic spray on the small of my back, the magic muscular spray. I've been uh, checked out by the trainers. I don't need a substitute. So I'm, uh, I'm good to go to return to training and return to, uh, to match fitness. Or, uh, I'm just imagining work- you like, oh no, I have to get from the downstairs to where I record, but it's going to take me like 10 minutes to like hobble over there. I'll be honest. <laughs> it, took me, it took me a solid uh, two minutes to walk up the stairs. <laughs> Nick, I think the I think the Liverpool injury bug has been passed on to its it supporters. It totally has. Yeah, except I don't have a Jordan Pickford sized excuse for this one. This is just me just absolutely pulling a Charlie Brown on my staircase. But lads, <laughs> before we get on to the Champions League today, which is the subject of our discussion, we're going to talk about all the games from Tuesday and Wednesday, and at the end, we're going to preview a massive season-defining El Clasico for both Barcelona and Real Madrid. But as I mentioned at the top of the episode, this is not the first time the three of us have convened around the virtual uh, roundtable today or this week. That is correct. We recorded what, in my opinion, is one of our better ever podcasts uh, on Monday. And yet due to a tragic error in the in the, the mysterious Internet that we rely on so much, my audio track was sadly lost, perhaps having something to do with the fact that I was recording from a parked car uh, and not from my normal space in my room. We apologize that we will not have that episode, although perhaps maybe, you know, someday that audio track will resurface like in a dream or something. This is round two. We hope it'll go a lot better than round one when it comes to saving the files, but we are ready and looking forward to discussing the action that we can actually discuss with you guys today. I won't lie. Earlier this week when your audio didn't save, I was like, Hmm, what if I just went in and recorded like my best Nathan impression <laughs> during all of the pauses? <laughs> we did like a weekend at Bernie style. We could totally try that for an episode. Like each of us pretends to be the other person. Oh, that'd be amazing. Wait, that'd be really, really that'd funny. That could be our, our Halloween. Late night. Yeah. Halloween. <laughs> oh, absolutely. We, um, each, we each go as another person. So That's I, great. 
who would dress up as who? Hmm, that's a great question. Well, the real I feel like the tricky thing is is going to be filling in for Caleb because Caleb has such a specific you have such a specific <laughs> brand of humor and like oh I could do it. Uh, I like know. sort I of feel off- confident. I feel confident that yeah I Nick's an actor. I feel like Nick Nick takes me. All right, I take you Nathan. And okay, then, Nathan, then I'll take, take I'll Nick. take Nick. All right, yeah. All right, it's right. just a okay. you know what out of the ashes out of the ashes of a lost podcast comes a new podcast that we will bring to you in a week or two. Funny how the world works. Stay tuned for the Freaky Friday edition (laughs) of the Corner Kick podcast. (laughs) But yeah, I guess the the thing is that the people are going to miss us discussing where that amazing Merseyside derby in the impact that the Van Dyke injury is going to have on Liverpool's season going forward. But I think we can touch on that uh, while we talk about Liverpool versus Ajax. But We do have to start with a massive Tuesday Champions League game. The Europeans Premier Cup competition returned with a bang. It was Manchester United playing away at PSG. And upon first glance at the lineups, Nathan, you'd think that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer set out his team to just really, really just play damage control. But they ended up up with a a really impressive, I thought, 2-1 away win at PSG. Yes, in uh, in the Champions League debut of the ugliest kits of all time, uh, no less. But yeah, I mean, in a weird way, this game might have saved Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because Axel Twanzebe, who hadn't played a game in 11 months due to injury and 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 loans and poor form and all of that, uh, ended up having probably the best performance of his young career. And if he can be the guy to stabilize their, their back four or back five, however they choose to play going forward, that's basically the equivalent of a new signing to use a an, an old Arsene Wengerism. Um, and I thought Alex Tellis looked pretty good on his debut. Luke Shaw as the third center back in a back three also looked surprisingly good. And, and keeping in mind that this, it's not like this was coming against, you know, a Sevilla or an Istanbul Basakcha here. It was coming up against PSG, who has probably the most fearsome front three in all of world football at the moment, um, aside from Liverpool. Big, big result for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who in the last 10 months has a better win percentage than Jurgen Klopp and Frank Lampard. Really? Yes. Yes, he does. But I think it, it's important to note that he did have that really impressive run uh, over the course of Project Restart and that has since sort of evaporated. So I think the context of that win percentage needs to be, well, put into context. So, <laughs> <laughs> But Caleb, obviously this is PSG, the Champions League finalists from mere months ago. They were without Marco Verratti, Paredes in that midfield. Obviously, Thiago Silva is a big miss for them at the back. He's been a stalwart of the club for so long now. But to me, this just felt like Neymar, Mbappe, and Di Maria were just trying to pull PSG through this match with their individual brilliance. There wasn't really a, a semblance of any really you know team play or team harmony when it came to attacking United. And it did provide them with one goal, but for me, it just it wasn't nearly enough from PSG. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a really disappointing result for PSG, especially, you know, being the competition runner-ups. And I think, yeah, it's it's obviously a good result for Manchester United. It's a good result for Marcus Rashford, who is torturing the Parisians again. I don't think that this is the system Manchester United fans are going to want to see going forward. Van de Vick and Pogba on the bench. I don't know. It was a good win for Man U, but I don't think it solves many of their problems going forward. Like, I think it'd be really strange to see this kind of 
3-4-1-2 formation going forward. But I could be wrong because maybe you just go with what worked. Yeah, to me, this felt like it was a success in the moment, but this is very temporary success for Ole, especially in the way that the Premier League is going right now where you can get beat convincingly by anyone, it seems. So it is two positive wins on the bounce where they played some really scintillating stuff at times. However, I agree with Caleb in that eventually Pogba and Van de Beek, those troubles that seem a little bit small right now. You know, Pogba had those comments over the international break where he said he was Real Madrid was his dream club and he a lot of Manchester United fans felt a little disrespected by him. But eventually you have to find a way to work who I consider Manchester United's best player back into this team. And Van de Beek, Nathan, you're you're an Ajax fan and, and you've been, you know, accustomed to watching Donny Van de Beek play for pretty much his entire career at this point. What do you think it says about Ole not playing who we assume to be his best midfield right now? It makes no sense to me because there's nothing that Fred or Scott McTominay can do that Van de Beek can't do better. Um, and not to mention the fact that Van de Beek has been playing consistently in the Champions League for the last three years, um, or two years plus the Europa League run. It's it's really baffling. And Van de Beek and his agent have been making some pretty public comments about how disappointed and frustrated they are that they're not in the starting lineup. Because keep in mind, Van de Beek turned down Real Madrid for United, right? Like, he had basically the pick of most major clubs in the world um, if he wanted to. And he ended up going to United. There's obviously a, a big, proud Dutch connection between that, uh, between the club. And for him to have been used as sparsely, especially when he's been the catalyst for some of their comebacks so far this season, it's really baffling to me. And frankly, it's the kind of situation that I think would reflect really poorly on Ed Woodward um, if it, United didn't get these wins, right? Like, it's the kind of thing where sanctioning 40 million pounds for a transfer in the area of your club where you already are the most overloaded, like you can overlook that if you get good results, but not playing him. And as soon as they hit a run of bad form, the fact that they ha- they won't, that they're not playing him rather, is going to get put under a microscope. The same thing happened when Arsenal didn't play Mesut Ozil for the first like two months after signing him from Real Madrid. It just doesn't really make sense to me when you have a player of his quality and his age and looking at everything else that's going on with their squad. Yeah, listen, I think this is a good result for Manchester United, but the test this weekend against Chelsea, I think it's two managers who are starting to get very heavily scrutinized in the Premier League, and that's going to be a real test for both of them to see, to gauge exactly where each team is at right now at the beginning of the season. But lads, shall we move on to Wednesday and discuss another English team, who have you know come under some criticism recently, whether or not be be it any fault of their own due to injury circumstances, but they have you know this is their first win in three matches. Liverpool pulled off a, a little bit of a snatch and grab win in Amsterdam against Ajax. Yeah, this game, I think I thought it was going to be a lot more entertaining than it ended up being. Uh, Liverpool wins one nil off of a Nico Tagliafico own goal that I thought was pretty unfortunate. And it's weird because the first 60 minutes of this game were incredibly open. Both sides had chances. Ajax should have been up 1-0 before the goal. Liverpool could have been up 3-0 after that. Liverpool managed to get an important three points on the road against probably the the toughest opponent they'll have to face in the group um, while also resting their key players uh, after the 60-minute mark. 
Um, I'm curious about, I'm curious for, for both of you, how you guys think Liverpool are going to manage their much smaller squad going up against Atalanta and in the rest of their Champions League endeavors, knowing how injury hit they are. Yeah, I don't, I don't know prospectively, but I think Liverpool did what they needed to do in this game. They needed to give some players in midfield a break. And most importantly, they needed to kind of pressure test Fabinho at center back, which is a long conversation we had on the the lost podcast. I I, I think Fabinho was man of the match. Honestly, he was I thought amazing. He was, I thought he was excellent. And you know, there could be a regression to the mean going forward, but this was an auspicious start, and I think it will give some solace to Liverpool fans that have you know been a little upset or concerned. Um, about the jittery start to the to the new season. I think Liverpool came out here and they did exactly what they needed to do. You heard Jeannie Wijnaldum talk in midweek about how sort of mentally fatigued and also a little bit physically fatigued they were following the Everton result. So I was coming into this Ajax, you know, obviously this isn't the Ajax team that made it to the Champions League semifinals of two years ago, but I think this is still a very game Ajax side. I think they are a good team with a lot of talented players. Like the fact that they their striker went off with an injury and they were able to bring on Quincy Promis, I think that that really bodes well for Ajax in this competition. I thought Fabinho at center back was, he was phenomenal. I think he made Joe Gomez look like an incredible defender as well. I think like we talked about in the last episode, in order for Liverpool to play the system that they need to play, they need to have an intelligent player at the back who's able to kind of read the game script and distribute the ball with effectiveness, but also, you know, not not concede the silly errors that we sometimes saw against Everton and in, in, in previous games this season for Liverpool. Klopp came out and he said that Liverpool didn't play sunshine football in this game. I also think that's okay. I think there are going to be games, especially with, you know, the way that injuries have completely ravaged the squad this season, where Liverpool just need to go out and get a win, right? We saw a lot of long ball soccer in this game. We saw, you know, a lot of Henderson going down and milking time, Trent Alexander-Arnold milking time from throw-ins. We saw, you know, like a lot of substitutions in pivotal moments that maybe if Liverpool hadn't made those substitutions, Ajax would have gotten themselves back into the game. I think substituting Firmino, Salah, and Mane in one go was very bold from Klopp, and it ended up paying off. I also think that you know now is the time in which Liverpool can probably experiment a little bit more with their team. Um, we saw Diego Jota come on and have another really impressive cameo on the bench, and we've talked about it a little bit on this podcast in months past, but I think Roberto Firmino I think Roberto Firmino is really starting to wear on some people's patience with, you know, the lack of offensive contribution that he's showing. And Jota is showing that he can contribute really well on both sides of the ball. And he's already scored more goals than Firmino in this campaign. So I would consider potentially a Salah, Jota, and Mane front three against Sheffield United going forward. I think this is a time for experimentation for Liverpool and see what they can kind of throw at the dartboard in order to gauge how successful they could be this season. I wonder if they would. Con- I wonder if Klopp would consider um, starting Jota in midfield rather than at the wing, so he could play a little diamond maybe with Firmino up top. Um, but yeah, I mean, in- as far as Ajax goes, I mean, Ajax were without their top scorer and best player of the season so far in uh, Anthony, who is out injured, and then they lost Mohamed Kudus, who's been their second top scorer and was the man of the match. At the weekend, Ajax are going to go through. I mean, they're either going to go wind up in the Europa League or 
finishing second place in this group and they'll have a fine season regardless. But yeah, this is not the same team that shocked so many people. Although Eric Ten Hag, uh, Klopp spoke very magnanimously about him. Uh, magnanimous, magnanimously? Magnanimously? Who knows? Um, about him beforehand um, and said that he's one of the world's top coaches. I wonder if this is the last season for him before a side like Barcelona come calling. I don't think we're, we're done with Komen yet. And I think we'll have other Dutch arrivals all of Memphis to pie before we get Eric Ten Hag. But, you know, we shall see. We shall yep, see. And the shadow of Xavi still looms large over the camp new right In now. In Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or Qatar. But he's a Qatar. Yeah. Qatar. 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 Al Saad. How dare you? Um, what a team. What a team. But anyways, yes, it is a time of many questions for Liverpool, but I think they provided at least some answers in this gutsy away win in Ajax. Certainly, I was a little bit nervous coming to this one, but was very impressed with the way that Liverpool composed themselves. And I think they just looked like the more experienced team in getting this 1-0 away win. Also, huge shout out to James Milner, who I think had an incredible game. He covered every blade of grass on the pitch. And I think his... <laughs> proving once again that he was probably he's probably one of the best free transfers of all time and a real leader in a time of crisis for this Liverpool team. So shout out to uh, to boring James. But lads, let's move on to probably the marquee game of Wednesday. Bayern Munich versus Atletico Madrid. Bayern have not taken one foot off the gas in the Champions League since their win in Portugal, which saw them lift the Champions League trophy mere months ago. It was Bayern Munich 4, this new-look Atletico Madrid team, Luis Suarez and all, no. Dude, Bayern are just going to win the Champions League. Like, it's not... I mean, there is not a doubt in my mind that they're the best team in Europe right now. And frankly, if they win the Champions League again this year, I think this, this particular iteration of Bayern are going to end up going down as one of the great, the all-time great European teams. Like, I, I think right now the last great European team that I can think of is Barcelona of 2014-15. Uh, and I think this Bayern team has potential to be exactly like that team. They're just so deep top to bottom. The fact that Alfonso Davies hasn't even been in the team because of poor form and he was last year's, you know, maybe the breakout player of the year for the entire champions league and maybe the world. Like it's just scary, man. And they score beautiful goals. Caleb, you said it in the chat earlier, but Kimmich is just a a cheat code. They still have probably the game's best striker in Lewandowski, or at least most consistent striker of the last 10 years. And uh, and a, a very, very solid coaching staff. And just from top to bottom, this team is just so good. Yeah, this, this was a, this was a pretty terrifying game. Um, just considering, you know, they're missing Sané and Nabry, and they're still able to put four past an Atleti team that, you know, does not have, I think, the defensive old. They're missing Jimenez today, um, but still very impressive. I think the ability in this team to have players like Goretzka score, but also Tolisso, who, you know, wasn't around all that much last year because of injury, score an absolute worldie today um, out of nothing is just truly terrifying. And as you mentioned, the fact that they have players like Alfonso Davies on the bench, but also Douglas Costa too, they can shuffle the deck in terms of who their personnel is on any given day. That's just utterly terrifying. I like, as you said, we should just give them the trophy now 
because they're going to steamroll their way to the final once again. Yeah, I agree completely with that. I think Quarantan Taliso, often the forgotten man in this team, showed us why he shouldn't be forgotten. He put in an absolute shift box-to-box against an Atletico Madrid team that do kind of like the stifle box-to-box movement, and he also had a phenomenal goal that was just so casually taken from outside of the box uh, that rifled into the top corner. You know, we talk about players who have signature moves, you know, like Thiago. He has that little drop of the shoulder in, in turn that he does. Joshua Kimmich's signature move is a beautifully placed pass from the right side of the top of the right side of the box into the penalty area at the back post because he can do that with precision seemingly every single game and something beautiful always comes of it for Bayern Munich. I think he's a player who's incredibly consistent, one of the most intelligent game readers in soccer right now, has a beautiful eye for a pass. We can see why Pep Guardiola was so interested in bringing him into the fold during his time at Bayern. And, you know, if only he had a player like that at Man City right now because the man is absolutely marvelous to watch the thing with Kimmich too is the comparison to Philip Lahm is so obvious because of the positions they play uh the teams they play for etc etc but I honestly think that that he is a top 10 player in the world right now and the fact that he's he hasn't even you know entered the traditional prime of his career is scary like if, if Bayern can retain him and and he can become you know their next Philip Lahm I said this when they won the Champions League I think this team has the real potential to be a European dynasty. I, I mean, that's that's pretty much all there is to it. I will say about Tolisso, it's very interesting that he got played today because he got sent off on Saturday uh, in their last game. So it, there's something very German to me about even though he might not have... Uh, like some coaches wouldn't reward getting sent off when getting played in the Champions League. For Flick, it's just like, well, he's available now and he won't be available later. Ergo, into the starting lineup you go. Yeah, and one one last thing before maybe we move on. I am terrified to see Coman finally getting his scoring boots right. I mean, the criticism of him for years has been, yeah, he's fast, yeah, he can dribble, but where's the end product? I mean, he's now scored a goal in the Champions League final to win the Champions League final. And now he has two on the opening day of the new season. If we can see a Kingsley Coman that can hit like 20 goals in a season on top of a Leroy Sané that can do the same, on top of a Nabry that can do the same, on top of a Muller that can do the same, and with a Lewandowski that can score 50, like they could be setting scoring records as well. Um, this is nuts. Like forget MSN. We have, I don't know, don't make me put the letters together, but it's crazy. Like, like the, 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 the potential is there. The potential is there. I think it's like if it's Sane, Lewandowski, Goretzka, Ern Goretzka, Gnabry, it's SLG, which sounds like an energy company of some kind. It's like one it's, of our Belarusian teams. <laughs> <laughs> if it's if it's Coman, Lewandowski. Uh, Dude, there's just no vowels. There's just no vowels. Like we'll never make this work as an acronym, but we're gonna popularize it. Don't get me. Yeah, they uh, just have a variety of yeah. three-letter name combinations that they can throw at teams, and that should exactly. make you terrified exactly. if you are a team or a player in the Bundesliga as well as in the Champions League. Yeah, I think like they say, form is temporary, class is permanent, and this Bayern team is just dripping in class at the moment. I think the consistency that Flick has been able to display like Caleb said by shuffling the deck every once in a while you know like Taliso played a little bit more of an advanced role in this game uh the way that he reintegrated Muller into this team 
the way that he's sort of shifted Coman's positions, that he can make those darting runs into the box, which I think is a bit new for him. I think they have so many different ways that, that they can hurt opposition. And, you know, poor Atletico Madrid, they seem to be on the right track, but this is just another heavy, heavy defeat for them in the Champions League. Shall we move on to the current Pep Guardiola Projects game briefly? Yeah, I think we can we can touch on this game. It was a interesting week for Manchester City. You know, obviously they got the win over Arsenal. Perhaps it was not the most stylish outing for Pep Guardiola. However, it was a positive result in which those are coming far and few between for Manchester City these days. And I think they were they were kind of back in full flow today against Porto. The defending was a little bit suspect for Porto's first goal. I think, you know, Rodri still has a ways to go in order to become that, you know, Fernandinho era parent that Man City want him to be. But Ferran Torres getting his, his I think, first, like, real impactful goal for the club. I think he scored one in the Carabao Cup, but this was his big moment. And uh, Ilkay Gundogan returning from, you know, COVID precautions in order to score a goal as well. I think, you know, City, they're a bit more inconsistent than we're used to seeing them. But I think you're slowly starting to see that they're getting those pieces back into the starting 11. Sergio Aguero was the the subject of controversy at the weekend, but I think he provided a good focal point uh, for them going forward. And I think once they get De Bruyne back in the team, you know, Laporte, you can tell that he's not fully fit, but he's working his way back into full fitness. I think it's, from a Liverpool perspective, uh, it's scary because you're starting to see them get all of these these pieces back into place yeah i think having an actual striker is is so important even if you're a tactical uh genius like Pep guardiola having a player who's not 17 years old like roy delap um lead the line is so important i will say great goal uh for luis diaz uh to open up the scoring i feel like city do this all the time where they concede a goal within like the first 15 minutes like when they would play Shakhtar like every year, they would always end up going down one nil and then coming back and scoring like four or five goals. Or Schalke. Uh, they would always get one exactly. goal to Schalke. Exactly. Uh, it, would all, it would always be a penalty somehow. Um, but yeah, I mean, City are going to do City and uh, they'll do fine. Then they'll lose in the quarterfinals. Uh, the Pep Guardiola special. I don't know how much you can take away from this match. Their, their, their Champions League group is just obscenely weak to like City, Olympiacos, Marseille, and Porto, take City out of there, and that's a Europa League group. So, I, I mean, again, it seems like they always get the luck of the draw. Well, actually, the luck of the draw. I'm not sure there's that much to take away from this, as you guys mentioned, but I think it's it's good to see, you know, Aguero back in the scoreline. It's good to see them starting, you know, a normal defensive line. I think it's good to see that despite them going down again, um, that they're actually able to sort of claw their way back and not implode. I think, especially after how bad they were in the Champions League, not good stages last year, you know, going down in your first game, you could definitely see them just wilting under the pressure, especially because, you know, a lot of the same figures are in the team again, like Eric Garcia, et cetera. So not sure there's a lot to take out of this, especially because City can play badly and still win this group. Um, but I'm sure Guardiola will be happy to be back. Now we can perhaps move to some of the more interesting ties and maybe the upset of this whole game week. That's right, Real Madrid 2, Shakhtar Donetsk 3, and I'm really interested to hear what you guys think about this result. 
Nick so, or I'm Nathan. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I thought you were. I thought you were leaving it off there, and I totally jumped the gun. <laughs> nope, Nathan. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> Nathan. It's 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 so weird seeing Real Madrid play at the Alfredo Di Stefano. They're like their mini stadium that they use for their Castilla games, um, because I feel like so much of Real Madrid's history and sort of the energy around their club is one of glamour, ostentatious presentation and whatnot and to play at this small stadium with like the blue tarp on the background it feels very mls's back tournament uh and a little less real madrid but i mean real madrid were really just outplayed from start to finish and admittedly shakhtar are a team that consistently produce great ukrainian and brazilian talents that end up getting sold to clubs around europe but i don't think anyone was expecting them to defeat Real Madrid in the way that they did today. I mean, Real Madrid, when it comes to the Champions League, they're the presumptive favorites for their group. Even though they lost 1-0 to Cadiz at the weekend in La Liga, I think pretty much everyone assumed that this would be a game that Zidane would use to get them back on track. And they just went out and went down 3-0. And they, they almost clawed their way all the way back in the 92nd minute with an equalizer that would end up getting called back um, by VAR. But... There are some real issues with this team. And, and Nick, to borrow a quote that you use on our last episode, we spend a lot of time dissecting uh, Barcelona's failures in the transfer market and as a club. But I think it's time that we turned our eyes a little bit south. Yeah, I completely agree with everything that you said. I was really stunned to watch the way Real Madrid totally capitulated in the first half of this game. It continues their run of poor form and you know, I think their lack of creation offensively we discussed in the last episode, sorry to keep referring to it, but uh, we discussed that in their loss at home to Cadiz, they only uh, attempted two shots on goal in the entire, in the entirety of that match. And Cadiz at times really outplayed them. It was interesting, um, you know, listening to some of the reactions following this game and Guillaume Balaguer was on air and he was talking about how he thinks that this Real Madrid team don't have any of the aspects that make a team in the modern era successful. You know, they don't have pace. They don't have like dynamism in midfield. There's a lot of just like slow moving around and individuality. And they, we saw some of that on display because Modric had to score an absolute wonder goal to uh, get this team back into the race in this one. Obviously we have El Clasico at the weekend and Barcelona are, are always the subject of very public discussion just because I think there's a lot of, you know, internal works that have been spilled out into the public arena for us to talk about. But I certainly think there are a lot of structural issues going on at Real Madrid right now, whether that's Zinedine Zidane not having the personnel to really get this team moving, whether it's the fact that, you know, Real Madrid's finances are worse than we think and that they haven't brought anyone into the club. I also think Zidane is having a bit of a tactical crisis right now. He went back to the the 4-3-3 with Luka Jovic up top. And Luka Jovic, Rodrigo, and Marco Asensio is not really the, you know, the marquee Champions League Real Madrid front three that I would expect. So, you know, I'm interested to hear what Caleb thinks, you know, on where we're a couple days away from El Clasico. And I think we'll, we'll also be touching on Barcelona's win at home to Frank Varos. Uh, in which they deployed a very, very youthful-looking 11. But I also just, like, praise to Shakhtar, who, you know, these guys made it to the Europa League semifinals last season. They're no mugs. Uh, And this is also a team that has incredible offensive potential that we saw 
in the Europa League and that we also saw in this game. But I think it's also to point out, it's, all, it's also good to point out that uh, this Shakhtar team had 13 injuries coming into this one. If you look at their bench, there's only a few name players, but the rest of the their bench are uh, random elderly ass- Ukrainians. Yeah, random assorted Shakhtar Academy players. So this team was incredibly depleted coming into this one. I think Marcus Antonio, Dentino, and Solomon were really the only players who uh, contribute in that first eleven on a normal basis, and they were able to absolutely rout Real Madrid at times. So praise to Shakhtar. Yeah, this game gives me a lot of hope heading into the weekend. Um, but it, it, it's just like the Madrid offense just lacks, as you sort of quoted Balague, like they lack dynamism. I think Jovic looks just utterly broken to the point where it doesn't even seem like he can like jump. Like, I don't know what his vert was at Eintracht Frankfurt, but surely it wasn't like two inches off the ground. There was a point where Marcelo had like excellent cross to him and he like missed it with his head and hit it with his shoulder. There was another point late in the game where, once again, it looks like he just like couldn't jump. He just can't lead the line. Rodrigo has a little bit of pace, but just couldn't seem to quite get it done. And I think the problem is the midfield wasn't giving them anything. Like Valverde and Casemiro aren't super creative players, and Modric, I think, is just past it a little bit. It almost makes you wonder how good this team could be if they had kept a player like James Rodriguez and switched to a 4-2-3-1 and just had Valverde and Casemiro sort of anchoring that. Um, but I think there are big questions because, honestly, the Madrid team defended decently, and I thought Marcelo and Mendy were pretty good on the flanks. It's just they keep having these lapses, right? Like Varane, we've seen, is just broken in Champions League contexts now. Um, and I'm not really sure what they can do until January, right? Because th- there's no one to bring in. You look at the bench... They didn't even bring Isco on, which I think they probably should have just because he's their most creative player. And they just can't rely on Kareem Benzema to make things happen all the time. So I think this team is in really, really bad shape. I think they need to switch up their formation, but I'm not really sure, you know, what what to go to. But I, I'm very uh, <laughs> looking forward well, to the I weekend. I think they were hoping that Martin Erdegaard would be that answer to the creative woes, but he's just, ever since returning from Sociedad, he's proven that he's probably best as a big fish in a small pond and he's not really I don't think he's proven to be quite that like Real Madrid caliber attacker or creator yeah and it's interesting because whereas Barcelona are struggling as well they have so many young players from the academy and from elsewhere in Spain who they've been able to call on like Pedri who got his first uh, Champions League goal the other day and even players you know if they were to have an injury crisis players like Alenia or Ricky Puig Real Madrid don't have that at all. I think this is where some of their tactics involving selling players with buyback clauses or loaning them out for two years at a time has really hurt them. And it's weird to me that they loaned out Rainier for two years to Dortmund when he is a creative attacking midfielder with a lot of potential. And I don't know, it just it just seems it seems weird to me. I think you really have to question, like Caleb was sort of alluding to, the vendettas that have seen really talented players leave this Real Madrid setup in recent times. What what does this 11 look like if, you know, instead of Rodrigo, it's James Rodriguez, right? Or instead of Marcus Asensio, it's Gareth Bale. Zinedine Zidane, in getting the squad that he uh, he wants, to, I mean, like, we obviously know there's clear issues in this team, but, like, getting those players out 
that he didn't think were going to be able to contribute to the squad, I think has left him with a lot less bullets in the chamber than I think he he realized. Yo, I think we're just realizing how much of the attacking burden Ronaldo shouldered, right? And 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 back then, having a midfield three of Modric, Kroos, and Casemiro was perfectly sufficient because they can all pass, they can all defend, and they can get the ball effectively to Ronaldo on the wing, or they can throw balls into the box. But nobody in that midfield really scores that often, right? Like Modric, you could tell, had to be like, okay, somebody has to take some leadership responsibility here. Here, I'll just whip it and see what happens. But I think what we're realizing now is they just have like a, between him and Bale, they have like a 70-goal vacuum that they just haven't filled. Right. Like literally. I think it's interesting now that you say this because Real Madrid were entirely reliant on defense last season. They only conceded 25 goals in La Liga, which was incredible. But now we're starting to see that they don't have the offense to paper over those cracks um, when they let in the odd goal every now and again or when Varane has a calamitous error at the back. You know, and also like Marcelo is a year older now. Sergio Ramos is a year older now. These are really experienced players. And when I say experienced, I say that in terms of the fact that they're old dudes. Like they are like incredibly, incredibly intelligent players still. You can kind of see that Marcelo over the past couple of weeks has been the catalyst for some 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 real calamities at the back. And it was interesting because the Cadiz manager came out this week and he said, the way that I targeted or that we targeted Real Madrid as a team at the weekend was to just completely overwhelm Marcelo defensively. So if, if you know, the Cadiz manager is coming out and like essentially giving away the blueprint in terms of how to hurt this Real Madrid team going forward. Real Madrid, Real Madrid have to respond to that with goals. I think it was interesting because I feel like when I watch Marcelo play, he looks like every game is like his exhibition match of like a Legends XI, right? Like he still has, <laughs> like he still has the like the flicks and the tricks and stuff, but he just has like no pace anymore. Like there was one point I forget who threw a great ball forward for Marcelo to get on an overlapping run, and he just could not keep up. And the ball just went out. And you're like, okay, prime Marcelo four years ago gets to that easily, and it's a goal. But right now, he kind of, as soon as he goes forward, he literally cannot get back. Um, and that's a big issue. I think they're going to need to essentially start playing Mendy at left back more regularly and then play Nacho um, or Odriot Sola at right back until Carvajal becomes available again. Yeah, I kind of feel like they're the formation that they should be using is a has five at the back um, to provide cover so that those fullbacks can get forward. I didn't think Ferlin Mendy looked very good as a right back. And obviously like that's understandable. Um, you're a defender playing on your offside with minimal support from a Militao who got booked uh, and Varane who again had that error. It's weird to me again, that Madrid let Ahraf Hakimi go when you consider the fact that this, this squad is so old right? Like Ramos, Modric, uh, Benzema, Barcelo. This is just like an aging, aging squad. Yeah, but Carvajal and, wasn't old, right? Right, right. But still, I mean, you can play Hakimi as, you know, a, a wide mid, a winger, or a wing back or a right back. It just seems like a weird transfer to Madrid. But I also want to go back to one thing. I think this Shakhtar team have three or four players who are going to end up as like European mainstays in the next decade. Like Menor Solomon is going to be Israel's greatest ever player. Uh, and that's pretty much the consensus on him. You have Tete who's only 20, 
who is just such a pleasure to watch play. Their right back, Dodo, is 21. Marcos Antonio, their center attacking midfielder, is 20. Like, this is a young team, and the fact that they were able to produce this display is going to really boost their resale value and show that they can get it done on uh, on the biggest stage. So congrats to Donetsk. Big yeah, game for them. I absolutely agree. I'm, I've been a big fan of this, this Shakhtar team, both on and off the podcast. I actually predicted them to go to the Europa League final, and in the end, they just got absolutely tanked by uh, <laughs> by Inter Milan. But oh well. Um, I think they're doing big things now. But shall we move on from one team in transition to another team in transition that also lost in the weekend in La Liga, but they made up for that by beating Frank Varos 5-1 at the Camp Nou. Caleb, what are your impressions of this very, very young Barcelona team getting it done in the this, Champions League? This This game, pretty much everything we needed to do, we did. Save the uh, stupid PK red card. De Jong, despite you know being the only player other than Messi, I think, who's played every minute this year, continued to have an excellent game and is showing a great connection with Ansu Fati, who after being coming off the bench at the weekend, started today and showed that he really is the real deal with a great volleyed goal and also a like flick back heel pass assist to Coutinho. It was good to see Coutinho on the score sheet. It was good to see Messi just dominating at striker position. Trincao got his first start and looked great. And then it was good to see that even when we went down to 10 men, we continued to fight offensively. Um, Pedri got his first Barcelona goal, um, which I think is good. And then I think the biggest morale boost for this game has to be Ousmane Dembele coming off the bench. Um, still looking a little rusty in all honesty and still not really being the type of pass-first player that I think Barcelona normally has. But he got the assist for Pedri with a good dribble. And then in, a, in just a triumphant moment, Messi could have scored himself but decided to lay it off to Dembele. And Dembele just sunk the ball in the back of the net for the fifth. The only way this game could have been better is if we had brought Griezmann on and he had scored. But right now, we have a pretty much humming team with a midfield that's settled and a bunch of offensive players all in good form. I, I'm just very pleased. I know we didn't play a good uh, opponent, but but it to, was a good result. To be slightly more critical, I think the one thing that could have been avoided is PK as one of the more experienced players in La Liga and you know the most experienced defender in this Barcelona side should not be getting himself sent off against a team like Ferenc Faros. Um, when you're he, they, when Barcelona were up, I think three nil at the time uh, that he got sent off. Like that is just completely inexcusable um, from you know a, a club legend. Uh, because if you go down three one to Ferenc Varos, that's fine. Like they're not going to come back. And instead, he gets himself ruled out of contention for the next match, which isn't against the team um, that was predicted to finish at the bottom of the group. But other than that. I thought Frankie de Jong has probably been Barcelona's second best player this year. Like he's just so commanding on the ball. He covers so much ground. Like you don't realize it necessarily because I don't think people would classify him as a ball winning midfielder, but he in a similar way to Messi just drifts around the field and winds up picking up the ball, you know, in his own box one minute on the left side of the field and the right side of the field, he'll make attacking runs too. And even though he doesn't really have end product in terms of goals, he's so instrumental to a successful Barcelona team. And the fact that it seems like Coman has figured out that playing with 
like actual wingers like Fati and maybe Trincao is the way to go instead of shoehorning in Griezmann. Uh, I think that that bodes really, really well for the game against Real Madrid and hopefully as a blueprint for further successes for Barcelona this season. Just to round off another discussion about a Barcelona player, I think in a way that Rodrigo and Asensio haven't been the answers on the wing for Real Madrid in a creative and a goal-scoring sense, Ansu Fati is proving to be both of those in this Barcelona team. And I also just think that you know, maybe certain people were. It was it was easy maybe to to try and levy criticisms at Messi for not you know wanting to be a team player for Barcelona anymore. You know, contribute to the sex the success of the club this season. But I think those little moments like that little dink pass over to Dembélé for his goal, I think proves that Messi realizes that a collective effort from this Barcelona team that I think is playing a little bit better than the sum of its parts right now is going to be what provides them with success this season. I don't think they get anywhere near uh, the Champions League final this season, but I think they can still have a pretty good showing for what the expectations were coming into Europe this season. So also, yeah, incredibly good to see Coutinho back involved in his favorite position in that number 10 slot, you know, drifting in sometimes a little bit from the left. I think he showed a really good link-up play, link-up play with uh, Ansu Fati. And I think in a way that Real Madrid are struggling for creative attackers at the moment, Barcelona have a lot of creative attackers that can do damage on their day. So I guess that leads us into our discussion about El Clasico this Saturday. I think, you know, two teams both coming off of a loss in La Liga, the first time that's happened in a very long time. But I think Barcelona probably are going to be feeling a lot better about their chances going into this one with Real Madrid kind of floundering both on offense and on defense right now. But Caleb, it's a big game, no doubt. I think it's two teams that are going to be both testing their respective transitionary periods against one another. What do you expect from a Coman and Zidane going into this one? I feel like it's important for La Liga that somebody win this game. Um, I feel like what we've seen, especially in the Champions League, but also in La Liga, that these teams just don't seem as sort of amazing and world-beating as they used to. And I think in terms of the brand of La Liga, it's important that we don't see a boring nil-nil game because I think it will just kind of confirm what people think about the league right now. I think the big decision for Barcelona and for Coman is whether he plays Griezmann or not. I think based on the Ferenc Varas showing, I honestly wouldn't play him. Um, and I would, frankly, keep pretty much the 11 we played against Ferenc Varas, except I think I'd put in Firpo for Dest, just because Dest is really a natural right back, and it shows. Um, and I'd also bring in Busquets for Pjanic. But otherwise, I think we keep this 11, and I think we try to keep, doing what we did in midweek and hope that Madrid can't really fix their issues. I would actually I would actually like to see Busquets stay on the bench. I thought he I think he's been one of the biggest underperformers so far this year. And admittedly it's not his fault that you know players like Griezmann haven't been performing, but he is aging a little bit. He's 32 years old and the fact that Pjanic was acquired in exchange for the heir apparent to Xavi's throne and looked so good uh, as one of those double pivots uh, was really impressive. And I think Pjanic provides much more of a forward threat 
a, a more attacking-minded presence than Busquets does. And against the Real Madrid midfield, I wonder if there's actually a place for all three of them uh, and maybe seeing Coutinho getting dropped for a more orthodox 4-3-3, although I doubt it. Yeah, I think this is, this game is big from a La Liga context, like Caleb was kind of alluding to. I think that we saw in Europe this this week that, you know, La Liga is not at its pinnacle right now. You know, Sevilla, we haven't mentioned them on this podcast, but they got a nil-nil win. Or no, no, no win. Jesus Christ. They they got they got a a nil-nil draw um away at Stanford Bridge against Chelsea in a game in which, you know, they look like they could probably do some damage, but that group is also pretty easy looking for Sevilla, who should expect to get through. But I also don't think that Sevilla are really, you know, a contender in Europe in the Champions League. I think if they drop down to the Europa League, they could probably, you know, win that competition <laughs> once again. But I just think on the Champions League level, you know, on this elite European stage, I think La Liga is lagging behind this season. So the Premier League, the Bundesliga, uh, Serie A, you know, they they have a lot of exciting teams in each of those divisions. And I just think we're seeing La Liga go through a transitionary period on all fronts. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's totally the impact that COVID has had. The, the impact that COVID has had on La Liga is not necessarily the same impact that it had on the Premier League. No, just because not at all. Because the, 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 the security, right, the security of the TV deals uh, for the for Premier League sides and the already existing inequality in buying power between Premier League clubs and, you know, clubs in Spain, plus the newly renegotiated TV deal for La Liga, which gives Barcelona and Madrid less of, a, of their cut than what they were accustomed to getting in exchange for trying to boost the uh, the war chests of other clubs. It all amounts to the La Liga performances that we've seen so far. And to be fair, La Liga were the best. I mean, La Liga teams overperformed for many, many, many years, right? Like they had that run where there was a Spanish team in the semifinals of uh, the Champions League in every single year. If this is a brief hiatus for Spanish dominance on the club stage, it's not like they haven't, you know, well-earned their spoils in the last couple of years. Yeah, I guess from a Real Madrid perspective, Zidane is going to be scratching and clawing to see if he can come up with a formation that can get the best of this youthful Barcelona team. But I I just don't think, as it stands right now, I think the Cadiz manager has sort of given up the ghost and how to, how to attack uh, this Real Madrid team. We'll see the likes of Lionel Messi, Trincao, or Ansu Fati going at the aging Marcelo. Uh, I really have very little faith that Real Madrid are going to be able to get a result in this game. And then I think because of that, we're going to start to see the conversation turn a little bit more, is going to turn a little bit more towards Real Madrid. Uh, and we're going to get away from, you know, some of those Barcelona concerns for a little bit. Pochettino to Real Madrid, question mark? I was about to say, yeah. I feel like also, yeah, you're right, Nick. We're at the point where the the Zidane mystique is is kind of at its end. He's really, you know, existing off of his previous reputation at the club right now, not on current performance. And I think three losses in a row to two teams that you should beat nine times out of ten and your biggest rival is a really, really bad look. And you look at who we had, you know, when he first took over at Real Madrid, and I would disagree, Nathan, 
I think there has been a great European team since that Barcelona 2015 team. And it was the Real Madrid team that won the Champions League in three straight years. And you look at the starting 11 of that team, every single position was filled by a player of like elite to world-class quality. And now we're just starting to see that, you know, those players are either leaving their prime, have completely left their prime, like Luka Modric's, um, you know, Sergio Ramos can do the defensive work and still come up with the odd clutch moment. But I don't think he's, you know, as dominant at the back as he once was. And obviously, Caleb has also mentioned the goal vacuum being left there by Cristiano Ronaldo. And I also think losing players like Gareth Bale and James Rodriguez are going to impact you from an offensive standpoint. You know, you could always, you know, in the Champions League, bring on the likes of Gareth Bale, as we saw in that Champions League final against Liverpool. You could bring on a player like James Rodriguez. So I just think that Zidane, we've seen him excel with excellent pieces. And now we're just seeing that, you know, maybe he didn't, he wasn't really like all that great of a Real Madrid Castilla manager before he was appointed to the, the job full time. So I think we're just starting to see that like, maybe he's not as elite a tactician or as elite a player developer as he was once thought of as? All big questions that we might have some answers to at the weekend, but we should probably start to bring the episode to a close. Maybe it's worth just mentioning the results in the Champions League. We did not have a chance to talk about today. Zenit losing to Club Bruges 2-1. Juventus winning 2-0. RV Leipzig beating Istanbul Basakshir 2-0. Rens drawing Krasnodar, Lazio beating Dortmund 3-1. Yeah, I want to talk about Lazio for a second because I think that was actually, that was a moment, right? Because Chiro Mobile, you know, famously flopped at Borussia Dortmund under Jurgen Klopp. He was sold back to Torino and then he was subsequently sold to Lazio in which he has probably been, aside from Robert Lewandowski, the premier goal scorer in Europe over the past year or two. And he absolutely did his former club in Lazio's return to the Champions League. It was a 3-1 win. I think it casts a little bit of doom and gloom over the Bundesliga uh, in the fact that, you know, probably the second or third contender in that division was absolutely just wiped aside by this Lazio team that I think are also, you know, they're aging a little bit and they're they're entering a transitionary period themselves. But I think it was a really, really good return to... uh, to the Champions League for Lazio. Excellent. Going, continuing with the rundown, RB Salzburg drawing 2-2 with Lokomotiv Moscow. Olympiacos beating Marseille 1-0. Atalanta recovering from a sort of bashing in the Serie A last weekend with a 4-0 victory over Midijitland. I'm totally saying that wrong. And then Inter Milan drawing with Mönchengladbach to yeah. wrap up I think that's the another game key week. result. I just think not that to labor our point here, but I just think, I just think, you know, we thought that Inter Milan were going to be like far and away the contenders for Serie A this season. And there have been a lot of like little problems at that club at the start of the season that have sort of all added up into big issues for Antonio Conte. And the fact that they can't produce anything defensively at the moment should be real worry for Inter Milan going forward, especially since AC Milan are on the rise in Serie A right now. Yeah. AC Milan, 20 games unbeaten including a derby victory at the weekend. I know that I know Inter have COVID problems, but it also just looks like those Antonio Conte, like he just didn't look comfortable on the touchline against Mucin Glockbach. So I think there's a lot of still 
internal issues that have yet to work themselves out there. Absolutely. And of course, still Europa League games to look forward to this week, as well as I believe another week of Champions League. I think we get three three weeks of European football in a row um, because of the harried nature of the international breaks this year. Um, So definitely a hectic schedule for all these teams. But for from a viewer uh, perspective, could not be anything. We could not ask for anything more. Yeah. Big weekend ahead of us. El Clasico, Chelsea versus Manchester United. Lots of juicy little tidbits to pick up on from the weekend. And we will be back to you at the beginning of next week. But until then, I've been Nick Vinden, Caleb Rhodes, Nathan Strauss. And we will see you all next time. <laughs>